Amen. Good morning. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Super Bowl Sunday, America's new favorite holiday. Amen. I feel like people get more excited about the Super Bowl than almost any other holiday that we celebrate. But thank you for being in the house. Uh, this service and the last service was packed. I'm worried about the 1115 now. <laughs> It might just be us in the worship team, Tony, so we'll have a good old time by ourselves. Amen. Um, but thank you for being in the house, because you know, you know, if you don't come to church, your team's definitely going to lose. That's, that's all I'm saying. So you know, people have been asking me, you know, who are you rooting for? You know, who's your team? Well, you know, I don't have a team, you know, I, I never did. And so I've always rooted for the team with the most, you know, outspoken Christians on it, to be honest. I'm like, hey, who's, who's, who's honoring Jesus? I'm rooting for you. So I'm a little torn this year, because it seems to be, you know, a pretty decent number of of God-loving Christians on both teams, which is pretty cool. So I put together this little uh, kind of clip, kind of highlighting uh, Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy and their faith. And uh, maybe after this video, you can, let's, let's have a little game. Let's see who you think I'm actually rooting for to win the Super Bowl. So take a look at this, and let's take a look at the faith of both of these quarterbacks for just a moment. Check this out. My Christian faith plays a role in everything that I do. I mean, I always ask God to, to lead me in the right direction and let me be who I am uh, for his name. So it has a role in everything that I do. And obviously, it will be on the huge stage in the Super Bowl that he's given me. And I want to make sure I'm glorifying him while I do it. It means everything. Um, I know that I'm blessed to be in this position. And I know that I, I'm here uh, for a reason and to glorify him. And so um, it means everything, not only to, about my football career, but all the decisions that I make. And so um, to have a faith backing. I know why I'm here, and it's not about winning football games. It's about glorifying him, and I think that gives me the, 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 the I have no pressure when I step on that football field because I know why I'm here. Brock, let me ask you a question about your faith. Jesus. How you doing? Doing good. How you doing? Good. Tell me about scripture this year, some of the Bible verses that you've been reading and passages that's maybe helped you this year. Yeah, this year for me, it's been Psalm 23. Um, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and then it goes on, but um, for me, you know, playing this game, playing this sport, there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, you can, it's easy to get wrapped up in, you know, wanting and feeling like wanting to be loved, you know, obviously by your teammates and everybody, but like the world. And so, um, for me, like in that, in that passage, it's talking about, you know, I already have what I need from, from the good shepherd and, and Jesus. So, um, I don't know. I've just been studying Psalm 23 uh, throughout the whole whole season and been going back to it. It's what I start off with actually every single day. I just read off Psalm 23 to myself before I start start off with some solitude and, and then I go about my day. I talked to your dad a couple days ago. He said he prays his guts out when he watches you play. Yeah. Do you pray when you're playing during a game? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, and it's not can we, you know, God, can we win here? Can, can we right. do something great here? It's it's more just to have that, that peace, that steadfastness in, in all the chaos. That's really what it is. It's sinking back into like Holy Spirit, you know, take over and, and lead me here in this moment and allow me to think clearly, allow me to, you know, obviously go through my reads and, and like I said, just uh, have a even killed state of mind that, that I get from the Holy Spirit, so. Amen, amen, all right. Okay, so we're gonna, Let's take a vote here. How many of you think I'm rooting for the Chiefs? Really? I said, who do you think I'm rooting for? Not who you're rooting for. <laughs> or how many think it's the 49ers? <laughs> Again, not who I'm rooting for. <laughs> not who you're rooting for, who I'm rooting for. Let me tell you who I'm rooting for, to be 100% honest. I'm rooting for Jesus, amen. 
<laughs> and here's what excites me about this Super Bowl is you got two quarterbacks and a lot of other players on the other side, Christian McCaffrey and others, that, that, that are putting their faith on display and using their platform to talk about their faith. That's what I love to see. And I'm praying that whoever wins, I know some of you are disappointed in this, but whoever wins, that God will get the glory. Amen. That, that in all the halftime speeches and all the moments that God gets the glory. And there's actually going to be a bunch of commercials also put on by the, uh, the He Gets Us Foundation as well as, I, I believe, the Halo Prayer app or Hallowed Prayer app or whatever. And so there's going to be a lot of opportunities for the gospel to be made present. And I pray beyond all the nonsense, above all the Taylor Swift stuff, is that Jesus is front and center. Can I hear an amen to that? See, that should unify us. Amen? Nobody fight in the parking lot. All right. But you know, uh, what's more important than this game that we're about to, you know, that everyone is about to watch today is more important than the Super Bowl, the greatest game, the greatest competition, really, it's the game of life. That winning the Super Bowl is fine and all, but if we lose the game of life in the midst of all that, what have we really gained? And one of the most important battles that all of us are going to fight is, is in bringing God's love into our lives and letting him transform us so that we can bring change and transformation to the world all around us. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been saying that God's holiness is meant not to just fill us, but to flow through us into the world. And one of the ways that this plays out most powerfully is in our relationships and the way that we relate to one another. That's where the battle is won and fought and, and won and lost very often in the way that we relate as Christians, as God followers in this world. And so I want to throw up that, that picture, first of all, that I showed last week. This is a picture that I feel like God kind of gave me. Uh, go ahead and put that up, the picture of the house, that I feel like God wants his presence to fill our lives, our homes, and then flow through us into the world that we need to first receive his love and his strength and let the gospel change us so that it can penetrate the communities that we live in, flowing through us in our families, to our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our schools, and our communities. And that takes intentionality, as we said, to let God continue to work, to let his word continue to, to change all of our lives, because that's the battle. And the battle that we need to fight and win is in our relationships, letting God's love bring change and transformation there. And so the real game is the game of life. And the only path to true victory is through Christ. Amen. And that's why I want Jesus to be on display in our lives and through our relationships. One of the ways that God calls us to fill the earth with his goodness is as we serve in the community together. So real quick uh, commercial break before I get into the message this morning. Uh, many people ask us this, why? how can we get involved in what Pearlside is doing in the community? Well, we have an informational meeting coming up on February the 24th. Uh, and so you can find out how you can get involved and we do, we do food distribution, homeless stuff, a whole bunch of things uh, that our church is doing. I'm super proud of our team for that. And if you wanna get involved, uh, you can go and check that out, go to our website. And uh, you can find out more information on that. Because we want to fill the earth with the goodness of God. Amen? We want to fill the earth with the goodness of God in as many ways as possible. And this is one of those ways. But for all of us, whether you get involved with this or not, we're called to fill the earth with the goodness of God through our relationships, the way we treat one another, the way that we relate to our coworkers or that boss that you don't like or those coworkers that you don't like in our homes, in our families, in our marriages. Amen? And one of the ways that we need to fight, and this, I believe, is the Super Bowl for every Christian, is in this area right here, and it's forgiveness. The area of forgiveness is the Super Bowl for every Christian. We can win every other battle, but lose this one, and we lose everything. And as you'll see in this passage that we're about to read together, <clears throat> forgiveness is so important. It's so important to Jesus, and it needs to be important to us. Look at this passage here in Matthew chapter 18. This is where we're going to begin this morning. 
It says this, then Peter came to Jesus, Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, you need to understand something before we go on. In the current rabbinic culture, they taught that you need to forgive someone three times. And then on the fourth time, if they offend you a fourth time, then you can get them. You know what I'm saying? You false crack them, pop their tires, key their car, kick their dog, whatever you want to do. As long as you did the three times, okay? On the fourth, you can get them back. So here Peter comes to Jesus and says, well, what about seven? You know, he's feeling pretty proud of himself. You know, what if I forgive him seven times? Come on, Jesus. Expecting Jesus to be all proud of him or something. But look at what Jesus says here. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, an unlimited amount of times. Therefore, he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, he, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a unit of measurement weighing roughly 75 pounds, so 75 pounds of something, 75 pounds of grain, 75 pounds of silver, 75 pounds of gold. Most likely, it was talking about silver or gold, okay? So this dude owed 10,000 talents of, if it was silver, which would have been worth about $254 million. If it was 10,000 talents of gold, it would have been worth about $19.1 billion worth of gold. Okay, so he owed 10,000 talents to the king. That's a lot of money, amen. Anybody got 10,000 talents worth of anything? I need to talk to you after, amen. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him that enormous debt. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred days wages. In Hawaii, if you make minimum wage, it's about $11,200. So not an insignificant amount of money, but small in comparison to the 19 billion that the other dude owed him. You see that? And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. The same speech the other dude used on the master. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants heard, uh, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went to the king and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now watch this, verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is God's word, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. The word that we all need to equally sub submit ourselves to. And in this particular situation of forgiving those who've wronged us, forgiving our enemies, Lord, we recognize this is extremely hard. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to help us. Speak to us this morning. Work in our hearts so that we can love people the way that you've loved us and bring your presence to this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Quite a challenging passage that we just read. And it centers around and it begins with Peter's question, how many times do I need to forgive someone who offends me? And as I said, he thought he was probably being a good dude. I'll, I'll forgive up to seven times, thinking that's, you know, Jesus is going to go, oh, good job, Peter. You're such a good boy, you know. But in response, Jesus says, no, it's not seven times. It's 77 times. And the number seven in the Bible is the number of completion. Think, you know, creation was completed in seven days. And so when Jesus said 77 times, he wasn't saying count to 77 and on 78, then you get them because they must really be messed up to offend you 78 times in a day. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is for, forgive it a complete, unlimited amount of times. That's what the number 77 would have re represented to them. And that leads us to our first point here. Forgiveness is unlimited and unconditional. Forgiveness in the Bible, forgiveness to Jesus is unlimited and unconditional. He said it's an unlimited amount of times. You don't count how many times they offend you and then get ready to extract your revenge. It's an unlimited amount of times. And then secondly, it's unconditional. Notice Jesus didn't say, well, first tell me what they did and then I'll tell you how many times you need to forgive them, right? If, if it were me and someone asked me how many times you need to forgive, I would have said, well, it depends. What did they do, right? Tell me what they did and were they sorry after, right? I would put a condition on it because in my human flesh, in my human thinking, that's what I would do. I would put a condition on it. Notice Jesus puts no preconditions. He just says you need to forgive an unlimited amount of times. Therefore, it's, it's unconditional. He doesn't say, wait till they say sorry first. He doesn't say, did they pay you back? Did they make it right? Did they seem like they understood what they did? He put no conditions on it. He just said, you need to forgive an unlimited unconditionally, unlimited and unconditionally. Now I know for most of us, that right there is, is enough to make your mind kind of freeze up. What do you mean? That seems, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound logical. That doesn't sound possible. And if you're like me, I'm asking the question, why? Why do I need to forgive an unlimited and unconditionally? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said to me? Do you know how that person ruined my life or put my situation, put me in a bad situation? Do you know what that person did, God? And of course, God in heaven would say, yes, I know. And you still need to forgive them, unlimited and unconditionally. You know, modern medicine, I think it's really interesting that modern science is even now beginning to recognize the importance of forgiveness. Uh, there was, there's, there's tons of studies on this, but here's a few. The American Psychological Association released an article entitled, Forgiveness Can Improve Your Mental and Physical Health. Did you know that? Forgiveness can improve your mental and physical health. Harvard Health released this article entitled, The Power of Forgiveness. And in it, it talks about the mental health and physical health benefits of, of, of forgiveness. But here's my favorite one. Johns Hopkins released this article entitled, and I love the title. Go ahead and put that up. Forgiveness, your health depends on it. There it is. Your health depends on it. Forgiveness, your health depends on it. And in the article, I want to read to you a couple of quotes uh, that these scientists talk about the power of forgiveness for our health. It says this, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. In other words, the older we get, the more important for our health it is that we forgive. Amen. It goes on. Chronic anger, which essentially is what unforgiveness is, puts us into a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. These changes can increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. 
Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. There's a direct connection between our physical health and this thing called forgiveness. Because here's what happens. When we replay the offense in our mind and we hang on to it, or like the story that was told, he, you take the guy and you choke him, right? Maybe, hopefully not literally, but in your mind. Isn't that what happens? You think about what they did and you're like, I want to get him back, right? And you imagine all the stuff that you would do if I ever see this guy again. And you think about that and it weighs on you. And what happens is your blood pressure starts to go up. Ever notice that? You get all hot and you get all stressed and you get all angry. And the interesting thing scientists have found is that parts of our brain don't know the difference between the memory of an event and the actual event itself particularly a traumatic event. So when you recall a traumatic event in your mind, your, 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 your sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight response responds almost the same way that it did when you were offended the first time to fight off the, 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 the situation. But even the memory of that event will bring all those things back up. Now, in a moment when you're attacked or threatened or whatever, your fight or flight response is necessary to get you out of that situation so you can survive that situation, right? But we're not meant to live in a perpetual state of stress and in a perpetual state of fight or flight. Those hormones that are meant to get you out of a situation will actually destroy your organs and destroy your body if we live in that state continually. And that's what happens when we remember something that happened to us, what that person said to us and we get all hot and we get all angry and we let our emotions rise up. It's, it's detrimental to our health. That's what studies are beginning to find. And I, th I think Jesus who made us understands that's why you got to forgive an unlimited amount of times every single day so that we don't allow our health to be degraded by this thing called unforgiveness. But it's not just our physical health. It's not just our mental health. Our spiritual health is deeply impacted by unforgiveness. In every deliverance situation that I've been in in helping people get free from demonic oppression and demonic spirits, every, every deliverance session that our staff has been in, unforgiveness has been at the root. It's been at the root. And I think you'll see as we look through this text a little bit more why that might be. But every time I've cast the demons out, the hardest one to cast out is unforgiveness because we hold on to it. We think we're entitled to be bitter. We think we're entitled to be angry. We think we're entitled to get vengeance on this person. And that's usually the last one that we let go. And I think that's the reason why it opens a door in our soul for the enemy to come and attack and wreak havoc in our physical, mental, emotional, and our spiritual health. It's very imperative for all of us to forgive, amen? It's a very, very big deal. And to illustrate how important this is, Jesus then goes on and he tells uh, this story of what's been called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And in the story we read, we see that, one per that the first servant was forgiven an enormous debt, a debt that he could never pay off. The master who represents God forgave him. He didn't like earn it, he just chose to forgive him. And that same servant who was forgiven now goes and chokes out his fellow servant over a much smaller debt. And from that, we learn a couple of things. First of all, number two in your notes is this. We need to forgive just as we have been forgiven. Forgive just as we have been forgiven. Look at what the master of the servant said in verse 32. Then his master summoned him, the first guy that he forgave the huge debt. You wicked servant, he calls him wicked. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? And here's the key, as I had mercy on you. Notice what he said here. You should have forgiven him because I forgave you. Here's where I think a lot of us get trapped or we get locked up when this thing called for, with forgiveness is we're looking at the other person. We're looking at the offender and we're determining whether or not they deserve for me to forgive them. Isn't that true? 
Right? We look at them. Are they really sorry? Did they really deserve it? Do they understand what they did? Right? Are they remorseful? And we look at them to determine whether or not I'm going to forgive. But here's what the Bible teaches. Forgiveness is not dependent on the other person. Our forgiveness isn't dependent on them. Who's it dependent on? It should be dependent on God. Rather than looking at the other person to determine whether or not I forgive, I should be looking at God and how he forgave me. See, forgiveness in the Bible is a response to the gospel. It's not a response to the other person. Because if we think about the people that have offended us, they don't deserve us to forgive them. Some of them don't deserve us to forgive them. They've never apologized. They've never made it right. And if we stay in that human way of thinking, we'll never forgive because they've never made it right as far as we're concerned. Isn't that true? And no matter what they do, it could never be right in your mind. But forgiveness in the Bible is not about the other person. It's about God. It's looking at God. Therefore, forgiveness is an act of faith and forgiveness is an act of worship. We forgive because God in Christ forgave us. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes about this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians chapter 4. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Nowhere in the Bible where you say, forgive based off of them. Everywhere you're going to find, forgive because God forgave you. Forgiveness is so important. And, and uh, I first really wrestled with this many years ago. When I, when I was a teenager, I was dealing with a situation, and uh, I just was really struggling with unforgiveness, like many of us. And every time I'm offended, I still struggle, even to this day. Um, but this is the first time. And I remember I was on the phone. I was talking to the guy who was my, our, our youth pastor at the time. And I remember just, I was going off on a situation. And just, you know, and, and you know, and as I was going off, I was getting heated. I was getting loud, I remember. And I was just, you know, kind of just letting him have it, telling him what I was going through. And I remember his response to me was simple. He just said, Billy, you know, you got to forgive, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know, but, but. Right? Yes, I know, but this, but that. And I had all my butts lined up. They were good butts. They were like the very reasonable, you know, and, and, but he said, you know, you got to forgive. And then I, then I, then I came to this. I said, well, I will forgive. All right, I will. When they come crawling to me on their hands and knees, face in the dirt, then I will forgive. And I thought I was being reasonable. That sounds right. But I love what he said to me in response. He said, well, then that shows you don't understand the gospel. I remember thinking to myself, you don't understand the gospel. What are you, what are you talking about? I'm 16. I know everything, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, what are you talking about? What do you mean I don't understand the gospel? He said, Jesus died for you to offer forgiveness to you before you asked for it and before you deserved it. Before you were even born, he offered forgiveness to you for all of your sins. You need to forgive like that. And if you're now going to hold this person to, you got to earn and deserve my forgiveness, that just proves you don't understand the gospel because God forgave you before you asked for it and before you deserved it. Now, I don't remember what we said after that. My mind was like, you know, smoke was coming out of my ears and stuff. And then I remember just after hanging up the phone, thinking about that, going, wow, I, maybe I don't understand. Maybe I, I do think that I deserve God's love and I earned it somehow because I'm a pretty decent person, at least in my estimation. But as I thought about it more, I realized, wow, God, you did forgive me before I asked for it. He offers us forgiveness unconditionally. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't have to earn his forgiveness. We don't have to deserve it. We receive it freely. And if that's what we depend on for our eternal salvation, this unconditional mercy from God, then we need to offer that same unconditional mercy to those that have offended us. That's what these passages we read are talking about. Now, I know what you might be thinking. That's extremely difficult to do. 
I know you also might be thinking, that seems unfair. Yes, it is, on both counts. It's difficult, and it's not fair. But God offers us his love unconditionally, and he calls us to do the same. Amen? If you're a Christian, you are a Christian, not because you earned it or deserved it. You're a Christian because of the unmitigated mercy of God. And if we've received his mercy, we have to turn around and give mercy as well. Can I hear an amen to that? And you're right, it is hard. In fact, I would say, humanly, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? And he can change our hearts as we choose to forgive repeatedly over the process of time. But it's a choice that we have to make. We have to forgive because we have been forgiven. It's a response of worship and faith to what God did for us in Christ. But watch this, number three. And the text continues on with a warning. If we refuse to forgive, we will not be forgiven. If we refuse to forgive, we will not be forgiven. Back to, back to the passage, verse 34. And in his anger towards the unmerciful servant, the one who would not forgive, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Question, if he had a hard time paying off his debt while he was not in prison and he couldn't pay it off, how the heck is he going to pay off his debt while he is in prison? The answer to that question is never. So the master, because this dude would not forgive, threw him in prison essentially forever. He's not getting out. Verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Whoa, that's heavy. It seems unfair. Jesus said it another time in Matthew chapter 6, 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Wait, that doesn't sound right. So you're telling me, God, you're not going to forgive me if I don't forgive that person for what they did, but God, don't you know what they did? Don't you know how wrong they are? Don't you know what they did, how that set me back and ruined my life or whatever it is? And you're telling me I'm not going to be forgiven if I don't forgive them? That doesn't sound right. It sounds like you want me to earn your forgiveness, which is just the opposite of what we were just talking about, but it, it doesn't make sense. And I used to think that. This doesn't make sense, God. Why would you not forgive me because I choose to forgive that person for the wrong that they did? Until I realized that unforgiveness is essentially a rejection of the gospel. Unforgiveness is essentially rejecting the grace of God. Because remember what we said, the gospel of Jesus Christ is we receive his forgiveness that we didn't earn or deserve. He offers it for free, right? But when we say, now I'm going to turn around and choke this guy out for what he owes me. And by the way, isn't that, isn't that what unforgiveness feels like? You think about the person that wronged you, it's like, if I ever see this guy again, this is what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to key your car. I'm going to kick your dog. I'm, you know, we just, we just hold all this. If what we expect from God is this mercy, and then we turn around and do this, here's what we're saying. I know that you're like that, but I'm going to choose to be like this. I know that you say that you love me and, and it's unconditional, but I'm just not going to. And see, the, the key of being a Christian is we're supposed to become more like Christ. We, we're called to become more like him, right? In character. But when we say no to forgiveness, here's what we're saying. I don't want to be like you. I like being like this. I'm going to be God over my own life and decide for myself who I'm going to forgive. If I'm going to forgive, I don't want to be like you. I'm going to do it my way. We're rejecting the grace of God and becoming gods to ourselves. And that's why God would say, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Because it shows you don't understand the gospel. It shows you don't really want to become a follower of Christ. You just want your get out of hell free card and your ticket to heaven card. You don't really want me. 
Because forgiveness, as one pastor says, is not just what God does. Forgiveness is who he is. He is a forgiving God. And when we say no to forgiving those who offend us, we say, I don't really want you. I just want your stuff. I just want to live in your house. I don't want you. Forgiveness sets us apart from God, puts us at odds with God, and it's essentially a rejection of the gospel if we choose not to forgive. And that's why it's so important that we put into practice this thing called forgiveness. Now, to be clear, I worded this intentionally if we refuse to forgive. All of us are going to struggle to forgive, right? It's hard. You're almost never going to feel like it. In fact, I can't remember a time where I felt like forgiving someone. Anybody that holy? No, I don't know. I don't think so. Depending on the degree of the offense, I've never felt like it. In fact, every time I've forgiven, it almost feels wrong, doesn't it? Forgiving this person for what they did, ah, it doesn't feel right, God, because it goes against our flesh. It goes against what we think is right. But here's what I've noticed, and, and many of you have, can testify to this. The more we choose to forgive, the easier it gets over time. Isn't that true? Come on, somebody say amen. Testify in church, right? The more you choose to forgive, the easier it gets over time and the less grip the enemy has over you. Those memories don't weigh the same as they used to. The pain that it causes gets less and less over time. I wish I could tell you, forgive, and then tomorrow you'll be a new man or woman. No, you'll probably be the exact same person, exactly the same level of anger and anxiety over the situation. But if you do it week after week, day after day, month after month, year after year, there are people that I've had to forgive for decades. And sometimes when I think about them, it still stings a little. But I choose to forgive again. I choose to forgive again. It's a choice that we have to make. A choice out of faith. God, I'm trusting you that your word is right. And worship. I'm doing this because you forgave me. Forgiveness. We're not going to feel like it. But if we refuse to forgive, that's the key. If we say, no, not going to do it. Like the unmerciful servant. Nope, not going to forgive that person. Nope, not going to do it. We're saying no to God. We're saying no to his grace. And we're pushing his love out of our lives. And I think that's why God says, I'm not going to forgive you. Because you're rejecting me. You're rejecting me. We have to choose to forgive. If we refuse, God won't forgive us. May that not be any of us. Can I hear an amen to that? But it's important to understand this. Number four, forgiveness is unconditional, right? Everything that we just said. But reconciliation and trust is conditional. Now, this is important to make, to make this distinction. Reconciliation and trust is conditional to repentance, to their repentance, because okay? here's, here's what ends up happening. I, I've heard this so many times over the years. I can't forgive that person because I can't ever be reconciled to them. Or I can't forgive that person because I don't trust them. And here's, I've got good news for you if you feel that way. You don't have to reconcile and you don't have to trust them. Forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust are different things. Forgiveness is unconditional. That's what we do in our heart. Reconciliation is conditional to whether or not they change. Because if they don't change, they're going to keep hurting you. They're going to keep abusing you. Then you can't be reconciled to a person like that. If they're not going to change and, and earn trust and demonstrate that they're not going to keep on doing the same things, then you're not going to trust them again. And you don't have to. The Bible doesn't say you have to reconcile or you have to trust the person. It does say you have to forgive. So if we're feeling like, man, I can't forgive that person because I can't reconcile with them. I can't trust them. That's okay. You don't have to. Forgive in your heart. And whether or not reconciliation happens, we leave that up to God. Whether or not we can trust them in the future, we can leave that up to God. That's not up to you, but forgiveness is up to you. Some of you have heard this before, but unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. 
because we're poisoning ourselves and our own soul with unforgiveness, but we choose to forgive. And what God does with them, as we'll see in a second, is in his hands, but we need to forgive. Can I hear an amen? Reconciliation and trust is conditional. It's conditional. Are they going to change? Are they going to stop hurting you? Stop doing the things that they did? If not, you don't have to reconcile and you don't have to trust, but you still have to forgive. And then lastly, number five, while we forgive and while we wait for God to do his work, establish healthy boundaries, leaving room for God to work. This is the last point. And this is important. We have to establish healthy boundaries. I love what Romans chapter 12 says about this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Yeah, get them, God, right? Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, when we forgive, we're putting the other person into the hands of God. I love what Pastor Norman used to say, you're not letting them off the hook, you're putting them onto God's hook. And we're letting God deal with the person. And God will deal. He is a just God. He will deal in the other person's life. He will deal in the other person's heart. And whatever justice needs to be dealt, we trust God to deal with that justice. But in our hearts, we need to forgive. But in the meantime, as we do that, we need to establish healthy boundaries. In other words, if the person is still offending you, still hurting you, especially in cases where there's abuse or manipulation or things like that, we have to establish healthy boundaries where those things don't keep happening. Please don't forgive and stay in a situation where you're continuing to get hurt. And think that, you know, I for, I'm forgiving, so I have to keep on allowing myself to be abused. No. Establish boundaries. Get out of there. Forgive in your heart, but establish those boundaries so that God can work on the other person, so that you and the other people don't keep getting victimized by that same person's offenses. Boundaries are okay. It's not unchristian to do that. But we need to forgive and establish those healthy boundaries so that God can work on the person. I remember many years ago, I was dealing with another situation. <clears throat> I was just having a hard time forgiving this person. Because it's, it's especially hard when you feel like you, you should know better. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know better, and you keep doing this. What is wrong with you? Come on, somebody, right? That, those are the hardest ones. You get it when it's like some egregious thing. You're like, all right, I can see that. But, but you know better. What the heck? And so that, that's what was going on in me. I was just so frustrated and so angry. And I, I, and I knew this stuff. I was a pastor already, you know? And, and I was saying, God, but I don't, I don't feel like they deserve it. I don't want to forgive. But then I remembered this passage that we just read, Romans. And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, you need to forgive. Let me deal with them. Let me deal with that person. But here's what I felt the Holy Spirit tell me too. If you don't forgive, then I'm going to have to deal with you. I was like, okay, <laughs> you got me, God. I don't want to deal with your wrath. So I'm going to choose to forgive and let you deal with the other person. And you know what? He always does. He always does. Maybe not in my timing, but God always does in a way that is just and is right. And I got some stories of things that have happened to people, but I won't share that right now. But <laughs> God always deals justly. The question we have to deal with is in our heart. Am I forgiving? Am I, or am I setting myself apart from God by holding on to unforgiveness? Who do you need to forgive today? All of us have gone through tremendous offenses, big ones, and even some small ones. That if we don't deal with these small little offenses, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't wait for me, you didn't call me back, you know, I, I watched that little text bubble and you, know, you didn't hit reply. You know, little things like that to big offenses, where there's abuse, where there's neglect, where there's literal mean and possibly even illegal things have happened. We have to forgive in all of it so as to not allow the enemy to come in and bring 
destruction to our relationships. Let me close with one more football-related story since it is the Super Bowl. On October 14, 2017, a guy by the name of Kadre Allison, former Atlanta Falcons running back, was preparing to take the field against North Carolina State while he played for the Pittsburgh Panthers. Meanwhile, at a gas station in Niagara Falls, New York, Allison's older brother, Laron Harris, was shot three times and killed by a man named Denzel Lewis. There you see a picture of Allison and his brother. Allison later penned a letter that was read aloud by his father at Lewis's sentencing in August of 2018. And this is what Kadri Allison wrote. When I heard what happened, I was devastated, like most people would be. During that time, though, I didn't feel an ounce of hate for whoever had did it. He stated that God provides him with the ability to forgive even through the tears. He continues on, every single life is precious, Allison said, no matter what they've done. I truly believe that. I truly believe that God handcrafted and molded each of us and gave us this life. We are all his children. We are all sons and daughters. Now here I am and I have this choice to hate you or not. I choose not to. What makes, the author of this article writes, what makes Allison's forgiveness even more remarkable is that Allison and Lewis, the guy who shot his brother, went to middle school together and even considered each other friends at one point in time. Allison continued in that letter, I still believe that your life is precious and that you can spread love around like God wants us to. I choose not to hate you. I choose to forgive you. I can't hate one of God's children. I truly hope and pray that you get better from this. I hope that this time is what you need and what makes you love and not hate. I don't know if you noticed this, but several times in this part of the letter that I read, he said, I choose. I choose not to hate. I choose to forgive you. I choose not to hold it. Right? All this stuff, it's a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. I can't imagine forgiving the person who murdered someone close to me like that. But you know what? The grace of God can help us to do difficult things like that. And when we do, and we choose to forgive, we position ourselves in a place to receive his grace, to carry us through even the most difficult situations in our lives. But it's a choice. You're not gonna feel like it. You're not gonna want to, and it feels wrong, but it is so right. And the enemy would wanna tell you, hold that bitterness, get your revenge, get what you deserve. And in that, he will trap us in this cage and this prison of unforgiveness. God wants us to be free. Amen. He wants us to be free to spread his love everywhere we go. He doesn't want us to be, all of us know a bitter person. Don't you? And if you don't know a bitter person, you might be that bitter person. All of us know someone that is just imprisoned by bitterness and we see it, we smell it and we go, I don't want that. But if we're not careful, we can easily become that. And it's a choice that we have to make, to choose to forgive, not because the other person deserves it, but because he first forgave us. Forgiveness is a response to the gospel. It's an act of faith. It's an act of worship. And as we do it, we experience his grace to help us in whatever we may be going through. Who do you need to forgive today? Maybe it's a big offense from maybe decades ago that still weighs on your soul. Choose to forgive repeatedly over time, 77 times a day or more. Maybe it's a small offense that you go, ah, it's not that bad. But if we let it fester, it compounds, doesn't it? And eventually we explode in the wrong moment over something small. Choose to forgive the little stuff. Choose to forgive the big stuff because he first forgave us. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us of this powerful, powerful lesson. 
And God, this is the battle right here. This is the battle that we need to win. Bigger than the Super Bowl. Bigger than any on-game or on-field competition. This is the battle that we have to win. In the big moments and the small moments, choosing to forgive because you first forgave us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to help us. Help us to forgive those that have offended us. Help us to choose to forgive because you first forgave us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we've been sharing this morning, undoubtedly many of us have had people's names and faces come into our minds. Situations came up. And I want to invite you to do this under your breath, in your heart. Just say, I choose to forgive this person. Say it again. I choose to forgive. We're going to do it again. And I want you to say, I choose to forgive and then name the person and name the offense. I choose to forgive this person for what they did. Say their name. Say the offense. Go ahead. Choose to forgive them. You can say it under your breath, in your heart. I choose to forgive them for what they did. I choose to forgive this person for what they did and how it affected me. I choose to forgive them. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. And God, I ask for your help that you would fill our hearts with your grace and strength that the sting of those memories, that the weight of those offenses gets lighter and lighter with each choice to forgive. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to demonstrate your heart of forgiveness as we forgive those who've wronged us. But we need you, Jesus. Help us. We surrender ourselves to you, your word, and we ask for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen.